0: Chapter 4 of Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leonard Hardy, Calgary, Alberta. Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. Chapter 4 First Meeting of Rogero and Bradamont. To tell fittingly the mighty deeds of Bradamont would need a tongue of iron and the mouth of a cannon, so sings Boyardo, and to put in proper order all the threads of all the stories that lead up to the central story of Rogero and Bradamont would need the brain of a spider. As soon as the descent of Bradamont on France had been noised abroad, there was gathered together in haste an army in Lombardy and another in France. "'and as fast as they could be moved to the attack. "'And when Rodemont saw the two hosts advancing, "'he called out to his men, "'Take my banner and attack one of these armies, "'and I myself will assault the other. "'Choose which you will.' "'And his men chose to attack the Lombards, "'and Rodemont alone and on foot "'advanced against the French host. "'And the host was so great "'that its lances and banners seemed like a pine forest.' and the sheen of the armor lighted up all the hillside. and Rodamont rushed into the midst of his foes and hewed them down horse and foot as if he had been inspirited by a fiend sent from hell. And Brandamont, the maiden knight, in prowess the equal of her brother Ronaldo, charged down upon him and pierced his shield, and almost sent him to earth. But she made no wound through his dragon-skin armor, and when she had turned to charge again, "'Rodamont, with a mighty blow, caught her horse on the shoulder, "'and, in spite of the mail, cut it asunder, "'and Brandamont was thrown to the ground. "'And the Christians fell as fast as the dead leaves "'in the cold blast of December, "'and panic seized the living, and they turned to flee. "'But Rodamont was so fleet of foot that no escape was possible, "'and he covered the plain with dead. "'In the meantime, the rest of the Saracens, "'who had attacked the Lombards, were themselves driven back, and Rodemont, hearing the shouts and cries, looked around, and he saw a sight that redoubled his fury. His great banner had been thrown to the ground, and it was in danger of being carried off by the enemy. Now this banner was the delight of the eyes of Rodemont, for upon it he had caused to be embroidered and painted a lion with a curb in the mouth, and the curb was in the hand of a beautiful lady, Doralis, the princess of Granada. And the likeness of the lady was so natural that it seemed only to want speech to be alive. And Rodomont, whenever he looked at the picture of his lady, renewed his strength, as if he were fighting before her very eyes. And when he saw this image of Duralis under the feet of the enemy, his rage and anguish were unutterable, and he left the French and rushed like a thunderbolt on the Lombards and whilst he was dealing out destruction in the rescue of his banner, there came to the aid of the Christians yet another army, and with this army were Ronaldo and Dudon, called Dudon of the Mace, because he used only a mace in battle, and others of the paladins who had been entangled in the siege of Albraca, and in the venturous quest of which it had been the centre. For at last the siege of Albraca had come to an end, and the end came about through the infatuated love of Angelica for Ronaldo, the chief of her enemies. Orlando had been the mainstay of the defense on account of his devotion to Angelica, but in return she had treated him simply as a useful ally to be cast aside when necessary for the sake of Ronaldo. A great combat had taken place between the two cousins, representing the opposing forces, and Angelica had been present. At the critical moment she had intervened to save the life of Rinaldo. Thereafter, in fear for his life, if the combat were renewed, she had set Orlando on a distant adventure in which she had hoped and expected he would meet his death, or at least never return. But in fact Orlando had achieved the impossible. On his way back to Albracca, He had been urgently summoned to return to France in aid of Charlemagne and the Christians, who were threatened by the great Saracen invasion. But he had chosen to return to Albraca and Angelica. But Rinaldo, and with him other of the paladins who had also received the summons for aid to Charles, had gone back to Europe, and on reaching Hungary, they found the Christian king of that country had raised an army, and this they joined, and Rinaldo was made the commander. This army came in touch of the battlefield just as Rodomont had attacked the Lombards to recover his banner. When Rinaldo from a hilltop saw the destruction of the Christians and saw neither Charles himself nor his chief bodyguard, he feared that they had already fallen or been made prisoners, and that the end of all Christendom was at hand. Hastily he summoned the other leaders and bade them array their forces behind the hill, but he himself, with a huge lance in rest, rode on in front and spurred Bayardo down the hill to attack Rodemont, who towered above the rest, and though unknown to Rinaldo, was evidently the leader. When Rodemont saw a single knight coming to attack, he ran to meet him, and Rinaldo struck him with his lance full in the shield, with force enough to break down a great wall. The Saracen was cast down, but in a moment was on his feet, and in his anger he aimed a blow at Bayardo. False Saracen, low-born villain, cried Rinaldo. Are you not ashamed to aim a dastard blow at a noble horse? Perhaps in your country, where only the sun is hot and not the heart, it is your fashion to strike at the horse, but not ours of the chivalry of France. And Rodomont, in anger pointed to the heaps of slain and said, There is the work of my hands, there is the mark of my noble birth, but I strike my enemy not for fashion but for death and your horse shall not save you. Rinaldo, fearing for his horse, rode back to the hill and there left him, and then came back on foot against Rodomont. and Rodomont rejoiced that he had been given into his hands. But just as he was coming within reach, there appeared over the hillside the Hungarian army, and Rodomont thought no more of the single knight, but ran to meet this new foe, and, being more fleet of foot, he outstripped Rinaldo. In the melee that ensued, Rodemont took prisoner Dudon and gave him to his men to carry off. Rinaldo came up too late for the rescue, but renewed his combat with Rodemont. Long and hard they fought, but there appeared in sight yet another army of the Christians under Charlemagne. And when Rodemont saw this new army, he asked Rinaldo who the leader might be. And when he heard that he was King Charles himself, he again left his fight with Rinaldo, and ran to attack this fresh army. Night put an end to this new struggle, and Rodomont repented that he had left Rinaldo, and in spite of the oncoming darkness, he determined to find him and renew the fight. And he inquired of all the prisoners, and one of them, a liar, answered that Rinaldo had gone away to the forest of Ardennes. Then Rodomont mounted the horse he had taken from Dudon and rode, as he thought, in hot pursuit. But meanwhile, Rinaldo was searching for Rodomont, and in turn he was told by a Saracen, and this time with the truth, that Rodomont had gone to the forest, and Rinaldo rode off to find him. Now it chanced that Rodomont missed the way to the Ardennes, but Rinaldo came to the forest, and at the dawn of day he fell upon a strange adventure. Unawares, he came upon the fountain of Merlin, and in the meadow that was full of flowers of all colors he saw a most beautiful boy singing and dancing in high festival, and there danced round about him three nymphs garlanded in flowers and in their hands baskets of flowers. And as soon as they saw the lord of Montalbano, they cried out, Here is the traitor, here is the villain, here is the despiser of love's delight, and he has fallen into our snare. And with their baskets of flowers they ran up to him and they threw upon him the flowers of the many colors, and with every flower that struck him, he felt to the marrow of his bones a sharp pain, and he burned as if the flowers and the leaves were of fire. And the naked boy, after he had emptied his basket of flowers, struck Rinaldo on the helmet with the stalk of a lily, and the great warrior fell to the earth like a child. And the boy dragged him along through the meadow, and the nymphs with their garlands of flowers beat him until they were wearied, and though the knight begged for mercy, they paid no heed but beat him to the middle of the day. Of no avail was his armor, and all his body was smarting as if with the burning wounds given to the lost souls in hell, and in the midst of his torment he saw growing out of the shoulders of the boy and the nymphs feathered wings white, and red and golden, and upon every feather there was an eye, not such an eye as seen on the feathers of the peacock, but every eye was the eye of a beautiful maiden, and all the eyes looked upon Rinaldo, and after a time the boy and the winged maidens flew away, and were lost in the sky. And so great was the pain of Rinaldo that he lay on the meadow as if he were dead, and there came to him a lady in beauty, like a goddess, and she told him the reason of his punishment, and at whose hands it was given. The naked boy, she said, was the god of love himself, and against him none could contend, neither in the olden times nor in the present. And the god of love had made this law, that whoever is loved and does not love in return shall be made to feel himself the same cruel pain. And this pain, said she, is greater than all the pain you have suffered from our spiting with flowers. Not to be loved, and yet to love another, is of all torments the worst. And for your scorn of love, that is the torment you shall be made to suffer. And the God of love has ordered that you must go through this wood until you come to a river, and upon the bank you shall find a tall pine and a green olive." And you shall drink of the water, and the pain of the beating will pass.' So spake the lady, and then flew away after her companions. And Rinaldo did not know if he was dreaming or awake when he thought of all his valor in his proved armor being of no avail against a naked boy with the stalk of a lily and garland of flowers. And with great pain and labor he rose to his feet and dragged his weary body through the forest in search of the river, the pine. The olive. And at last he came to the trees and saw at their roots the water clear as crystal. And the water was the river of love. And it was against the natural power of this river that Merlin had built by his enchantment the fountain of hate. As soon as Rinaldo had come to the bank of the river, urged by pain and thirst, he knelt down and drank. And as he drank, the pain of his burning wounds passed away, and the more he drank of the water, the more it pleased him, and he rose up and thanked God for his mercy, and little by little, as he looked round, it came into his mind that he had been in this place before, and then he remembered how Angelica had awakened him by throwing flowers on his face, and how he had fled away, and bitterly he repented of his cruel folly, and bitterly he thought of the evil he had done to her. And on a sudden there came to him an overpowering desire to see Angelica, and to tell her his new love, and to ask pardon. And he mounted by Ardo, and set off on the instant on the return to India and Albraca. And as he rode, suddenly he saw dimly through the trees a lady with long flowing golden hair, riding a white palfrey and by her side a knight with a burning volcano for device on all his arms. The lady was Angelica. On the unexpected return of Orlando to Albraca, she had professed to be delighted and to hope by his aid to save the city. But as soon as she heard that Rinaldo had gone to Europe, she persuaded Orlando that the city could hold out no longer, and she urged him to take her with him back to France, with the promise, at least so he was made to understand, that she would be his when the long peril of the journey was over. But her real object was to pursue Rinaldo, and simply to use Orlando as the best of escorts, for since her ring had been stolen by Brunello, she had no power of her own, and, utterly unlike Marfisa or Batamont, she never wore armor or struck a blow in her own defence. In her love for Rinaldo, her courage rose to great heights, but not in battle. Orlando, as always, assented to the wishes of his divinity, and after many adventures they had reached the forest of the Ardennes. The knight of the burning volcano was Orlando, though disguised by his armor, he was unknown to Rinaldo. It chanced that when Angelica and Orlando reached the forest, they came on the fountain of Merlin, The fountain which he had designed to change the most ardent love into hatred, and Angelica, being wearied by the long journey, had drunk of the water, and at once her love for Rinaldo had vanished, and loathing had taken its place. She recalled his pride and disdain with anger, and all the qualities of body and mind she had been wont to adore, his beauty and courage and courtesy to others, were now turned into ugliness. She thought of him as a churlish traitor. She had just left the fountain with Orlando riding by her side. When Rinaldo caught sight of her, and as soon as his wondering eye saw that it was indeed Angelica, he was delighted beyond the power of words to tell. He thought that as he now loved her, so she still loved him. And well he knew how much she had loved him before. Orlando he did not know in the changed armor and riding up to Angelica he saluted her, and with a smile said to her, I must speak with you or I shall die, although I know how shameless was my bearing to you in the past, and that I do not deserve to be listened to. Still I know that you are so kindly and good that I may hope for pardon, and all I ask is to be allowed to love you, though I am not worthy to receive from you anything in return. Orlando, who had listened to him with rising anger and impatience, broke in and upbraided him for his treachery and deceit, for he imagined Rinaldo had feigned his former hatred of Angelica. But when Rinaldo knew by his speech that it was Orlando, he was taken aback. They had been the closest of friends and shared the most perilous adventures, and up to that day, in spite of their combat before Albraca, their friendship had remained firmly rooted in their hearts. But now from words they came to blows, and they fought with the fiercest anger. Angelica, though she had no love for Orlando, hoped he would kill the hateful Ronaldo. But to escape from both of her lovers, she fled away and came upon the camp of Charlemagne. As soon as the king heard of the duel and was aware of the cause, like a great soldier who put the claims of war before all others, he handed over Angelica to Namus, the old Duke of Bavaria and he rode with his paladins to break up the duel of the cousins. Thereafter he promised to each separately that he would give Angelica to him who should make most havoc in the coming battle with the Saracens. Of all the great battles between the Saracens and Christians, this battle proved to be the most tangled in its unfolding and the most far-reaching in its effect on the men and women with whom these stories are most concerned. Charles knew that the descent of Rotomont was only the beginning of a general invasion of France by the Saracens of Africa and the Moors of Spain. But the arrival of Orlando and Rinaldo and the other paladins made him confident of victory. As the events showed, he underrated the strength of the forces to be brought against him and the accumulations of the sins of the Christians for which God had designed to impose on them a fitting punishment. When Rodomont had left his men in search for Rinaldo, they embarked on their battered ships and made their way back to Africa, taking with them Dudon as a prisoner. And Agramont commanded that the paladin should be treated with all courtesy and allowed all freedom, except the liberty to return to France. And in the fullness of time, as will be told in another story, Dudon played a great part in the destruction of the ships of Agramont when his great adventure in France had ended in failure. But for a long time the invasion was successful and threatened the ruin of Christendom. After Rodemont had failed to find Ronaldo, he journeyed toward Spain, and on the way he fell in with a knight-errant who proved to be Pharaoh. Pharaoh had come back in disguise to France in the hope of meeting with Angelica, for he had heard of the rumor of her return. As it happened, however, although his thoughts were set on Angelica, he chanced to tell Rodomont that at one time he had been enamored of Doralis, the princess of Granada, and before he could tell of the change in his love on the side of Angelica, Rodomont was so enraged that any other would have dared look with love on his Doralis that he challenged Pharaoh to mortal combat. And on this occasion also the duel was broken up by the advent of a messenger, who brought the news of the beginning of the invasion of France by the Moors under Marsilio. And when Pharaoh heard that Marsilio, his suzerain, was already besieging Montalbano, which was weakened by the absence of Rinaldo, he prayed Rodomont to give up the single combat which had been entered on in error, so that both might take part in the great attack on Charlemagne. And forthwith they made peace and rode away at speed and after a singular adventure, recorded elsewhere, they reached the camp of Marsilio, and there Rodomont was able to sun himself in the eyes of Doralis, for she had accompanied her father, Stordolano, king of Granada, to the Moorish camp according to the custom in these times of the ladies of Spain of following their lords to battle. In the meantime, Charles, with his paladins, advanced to the relief of Montalbano, and at first, owing largely to the contest and valor of Orlando and Ronaldo, the battle had gone in favor of the Christians. But fortune changed sides on the arrival of Rodomont and Pharaoh, and whilst Orlando and Ronaldo were rivaling one another in destruction in another part of the field, Charles himself had been unhorsed by Pharaoh and surrounded by the Saracens, was put in peril of capture or death. Two messengers rode off in frantic haste to tell the two paladins of the danger of their king, and each of them, when he heard of the peril of Charles, thought to himself that now was the time to win Angelica, and each was afraid that the other would be the first to come to the rescue. As it happened, the honor fell to Rinaldo, owing to the better speed of his horse, Bayardo. He broke through the throngs of Saracens who were pressing on the king, and seizing a riderless horse— he helped Charles to mount. The rescue of Charles again turned the battle in favor of the Christians. But at this point there arrived the great army of Agamont. After Agamont had found Rogero on Mount Carina by the aid of the ring that Brunello stole from Angelica, as told in another set of stories, he had gathered together the strength of all Africa for the invasion of France, and at last he had set sail with a great armada and the better part of the forces under his own leadership and with Rogero by his side were landed near the mouth of the Ebro, and at the very crisis of the great battle they came over the mountain to the aid of Marsilio. These fresh forces gave to the Saracens overwhelming strength, and in the end the Christians were driven back in disorder in the direction of Paris. But as was usually the case in the battles of chivalry, here and there combats between notable knights, had been left undecided in the ebb of the battle. Of these combats, the most exciting and enduring was that between the maiden knight, Brandemont and Rodamont, and the combat had come about in this manner. Before the beginning of the great battle, Brandemont had been sent with a large force to lie hidden on the flank of the Saracens and await the order from Charles to charge. Now, after the rescue of Charles, Orlando had met with Rodemont and the paladin had been stunned by the Saracen, though he still kept his seat, and his sword was chained to his arm. Just before this, Brandemont had received her order from Charles, and seeing the danger of Orlando, she had fought her way to his rescue. Rodemont, who was by nature most chivalrous, had ceased to attack Orlando, and was astonished to be suddenly attacked himself by Brandemont. When Orlando had recovered, he left the combat to Brandemont, according to the rules of courtesy, and at this point there came over the hill the great army of Agramont. Orlando held aloof when his aid was most needed. He rode away into the forest in the hope that in his absence the Christians would be defeated, and the mad love of the paladin for Angelica made him again sacrifice his duty to his king. He knew that Rinaldo, by the rescue of Charles, had gained the advantage in their rivalry, and it seemed to him that by the chances of the battle he had lost Angelica. But when he saw advancing the mighty host of Agramont, he hoped that the Christians would be routed, and that then he would come to a greater rescue from a greater peril. Once again, the love of Angelica was fatal to his honor. In the meantime, his rival, Rinaldo, had been adding to his glory on the battlefield. In single combat, he had brought Pharaoh almost to the point of death, when an urgent summons from Charles to meet the new forces under Agramot saved the life of the Saracen, and utterly worn-out Pharaoh retired from the battle to renew his strength at a river in the forest, whither, for very different reasons Orlando had already betaken himself. Of the doings of Ronaldo against the army of Agramont, only one incident must be recorded in this place, a notable example of the courtesies of chivalry and the beginning of a new set of adventures. Rogero, who was the hope of Agramont and the Saracens, had shown at once that the hope was well-founded. After many deeds of valor, he had overthrown the paladin Oliver and had himself dismounted to give him aid. While he was protecting the paladin, his own horse escaped, and Rogero was left on foot. Just as Rinaldo came up to the rescue of Oliver, Rinaldo, seeing that Rogero was on foot, also dismounted in accord with the unwritten courtesies of chivalry, and Bayardo disappeared in the forest. Whilst they were fighting, the combat between Rogero and Rinaldo was put to an end by the disorderly retreat of the army of Charles. Rinaldo was separated from Rogero by the press of men and rushed away to the forest in pursuit of Bayardo, for it was hopeless to overtake Charles on foot, and the search for Bayardo is the beginning of another story. It happened that Rogero, in returning from the pursuit of the shattered Christians, came in sight of the combat between Bradamont and Rodamont. It was in a little valley, and as Rogero descended the hill, he watched the conflict with the greatest admiration of the skill and strength of the opponents. He had not before seen Rodomont, who had left Africa before Rogero had been found by Agramont. Rodemont, whom he mistook for a cavalier, was equally unknown. He knew, however, that one must be Christian and the other Saracen. And it seemed to him to be his knightly duty to warn the Christian that Charlemagne was in full retreat, and that the time for single combats had passed. If one of you is Christian, he said, let him listen to the news I bring. The army of Charles is broken. I have seen it with my own eyes, and any one who would follow must make no delay. When Bradamont heard the evil tidings, she dropped the reins from her hand and appealed to Rodamont. Fair brother, this request of mine do not refuse. Let me follow my sovereign lord and share his fate. But Rodomont replied, You came between me and Orlando and took upon you his battle. Yours is the fault, and if from this place you would speedily depart, then speedily lay me dead on the earth, for sooner you shall not go. When Rogero heard this harsh reply, contrary to the spirit of chivalry, he broke in. Grieved am I to find discourtesy in a man of honor, for like a branch without leaves, or a stream without water, or a dwelling without a road, is honor without courtesy. Then turning to Bradamard, he said, Baron, turn your horse whither you will, and if your enemy still wishes for more fighting, more fighting he shall have, and that from me. Bradamont thanked him for his courtesy and rode away. And Rodamont cried out, Defend yourself and die for another if that is your wish. No threat made Rogero, and no answer but with the sword. So mighty were the blows of the two champions that both must have met their death, but that the hour appointed had not yet come. Whilst this combat was raging, Bradamont had ridden far, but had not overtaken the flying Christians. She knew not where to go to find King Charles, and her thought turned back to the knight who had taken up her quarrel, and she reproached herself. Now it seemed to her that even if her king had been taken and his army beaten, her first duty was to her own honor, and as she remembered the prowess of Rodomont, she feared for the stranger who had covered her retreat she turned and spurred back to the little valley between the hills. It happened that just as she came in sight of the combat, Rogero struck the helmet of Rodomont with such force that though the dragon headpiece was unharmed, the warrior himself was stunned. By force of habit he stayed in the saddle, but his sword fell to the ground, and he rode as rides the dead. Rogero made no attempt to make sure of victory by a second blow but sat motionless on his horse, and Bradamante thought to herself he was the soul of courtesy, and she wondered who he might be. She rode rapidly up to Rogero and said to him, I pray you forgive me for leaving you to fight my battle. When you said my king was in full retreat, my first thought was to bring him succor or die with him. Only after long riding in a vain pursuit did I see my own honor was my first duty, and now if I am not too late, Let me finish this combat. As she spoke, Rodamont had recovered from the blow, and when he saw that his sword had fallen from his hand and that he owed his life to the courtesy of his opponent, he cursed heaven and fate with bitter imprecations, as was his wont. But as he came up to Rogero, his anger gave way, and he forced himself to speak with courtesy. I see well that I can now win no glory at your cost, even if we renewed our fight and I gained the advantage. Where is the honour? Am I not already conquered by your courtesy? I must look on you as a vassal looks on his lord. When Rodamont had so constrained himself to speak, he snatched up his sword from the ground, and he galloped away like a storm, with his heart full of shame and fury. Bradamont was now left with Rogero. Much she wished to hear who he was, but she was a maid before she was a knight, and she simply saluted him and turned to ride away. But Rogero said, You must not go alone. The country is full of Saracens, and every path will be beset. Against such numbers your single arm will not avail. I will ride with you. They know me, and if they do not, we too will give them reason. The reply pleased Bradamont, and together they departed. And as they rode, she asked him many questions, such as might be asked by errant knights one of the other and at last she paid him of his courtesy to tell his name and race, and thereupon he told her all the time thinking she was a knight of his long descent from the royal house of Troy, and of the untimely death of his mother at his birth, and of his upbringing by Atlante, and at last he told her his name. Bradamont had watched his noble bearing and marked his youthful vigor, and as she listened to his tale she hardly breathed. AND SHE THOUGHT OF NOTHING ELSE, AND THE WORDS THAT meant NOTHING SEEMED TO HER THE WORDS OF LOVE, AND FOR THE FIRST TIME IN HER LIFE, LOVE SEIZED ON HER, AND HER HEART WENT OUT TO HIM. SHE SAID TO HERSELF, IT WOULD BE THE OPENING OF PARADISE, IF I MIGHT ONLY SEE HIS FACE. AND AS SHE LOOKED AND PONDERED, ROGERO SPOKE, I, TOO, VALOROUS BARON, WOULD GLADLY KNOW YOUR NAME AND RACE. AND THE MAIDEN WITH HER HEART AFLAME ANSWERED QUICKLY, I am of the house of Clermont, and if this name is not known to you, at least you have heard of the fame of Rinaldo. Rinaldo is my brother, and I am his sister Brandemont. And as she spoke to give proof of her words, she lifted up her helmet, and the golden hair fell in masses, and her face changed to the face of a maiden, and her knightly ardor had vanished, and out of her eyes looked the morning of love. When Rogero saw the delicate face transfigured by the golden hair, he was dismayed as if stricken by fire, and his heart trembled. And Bradamont said to him, Fair lord, if you ever loved a lady, grant me this one favor, to see your face. Such was the beginning of the love of Bradamont and Rogero. Suddenly they were startled by the clash of arms and the rush of horses. Instantly Rogero lowered his visor, but Bradamont had not time to replace her helmet. They were set on by a band of Saracens, Rogero thought to stop their attack by crying out his name. But they heard or heeded him not, and one of them aimed a fierce blow at the head of Bradamont. She warded the blow partly by her shield, but did not escape a grievous wound. Rogero rushed to her rescue, though some of the Saracens now knew him and called on him to aid his own friends. And raged at the cowardly blow, he threw himself on her assailants and gave her time to bind up her wounds and replace her helmet. No sooner was Bradamont fully armed than she in turn rode to the aid of Rogero, and dealt such blows as he would not have believed possible for a woman. Each admired the prowess of the other, and every blow on the common enemy clenched more tightly, their own comradeship. In the melee Bradamont ever sought to come hand to hand with Martisano, the chief who had given her the coward's blow at the outset. Hear me, hear me, she cried, this time you will not find me without my helmet. At last she fought her way through the press of men, and gave him a blow that clove him asunder. When the Saracens saw that the fight in spite of numbers was turning against them, they took counsel to separate the two by guile. Danafort, one of their chiefs, who was mounted on a swift horse that answered to every touch or whisper of his master, set himself to draw Badamont away by the appearance of flight. Whenever she seemed to be within reach of the pagan, failing with weariness, the cunning rider would again just escape, and little by little he drew Brademont far away into the rough country. At last her horse was worn out with the long fight and the pursuit, and fell, and could not rise. With difficulty, Brademont freed herself from the dying horse, and her enemy attacked her on this side and that with his lance, and cried to her to yield. The maiden knight, faint with loss of blood, began to fear that if the fight were prolonged she must fall through sheer weariness, and speedily she determined to risk all on one chance. She swayed as if she could no more stand, and indeed such was her weakness that when she fell heavily to earth even to herself, the fall seemed forced and not feigned. The wary Saracen pricked her with his lance before he ventured to dismount and come nearer. Bradamont moved not at the thrust, and the pagan fell into the snare. With a last effort Bradamont sprang to her feet, and with one blow severed his head from his body, even as he turned to flee. Night was falling fast, and so far had the wily Saracen drawn Bradamont from Ruggiero that she knew not how to return. At length she found the cell of a hermit who was skilled in leechcraft. Radimant told him she was grievously wounded and raised her helmet. When the holy man saw the seeming knight was a woman, at first he thought it was the semblance of a fiend sent to him by the devil for his temptation. But he looked in her eyes and saw his error, and set himself to salve the wound. But in order to do this, he had first of all to cut away masses of her blood-stained hair, and this made her appear more than ever a knight and not a maiden. Under the hermit's skill the wound quickly healed and Bradamont rode away in the direction of Montalbano her father's castle though she hoped in her heart to find Rogero in the meantime Rogero had first of all put to flight the rest of the saracens who had attacked Bradamont and as the night fell he tried in vain to find her he called on her with a loud voice but there was no answer and with the fearfulness of newborn love Wandered disconsolate through the forest before they again met. Many days were to pass, and both were to pass through many perils and strange adventures in the quest. End of chapter 4. Recording by Leonard Hardy.